Uh, this morning we had a guest speaker here, and he, he left us with a two-word phrase that really I thought was, was really cool to hear. He said, outrageous faith, right? And he told us a story about his brother coming to know the Lord late in life, um, but that's just a really interesting thing. And so um, if nothing else, I hope you carried that away, that maybe you could just challenge yourself to live um, an outrageous faith. Uh, for those of you that are keeping track or keeping score, I am wearing really good preaching socks tonight, so I'm super excited about that. Yes, absolutely. So um, those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, you probably won't be back. But anyway, um, so last week, um, we, we, we kind of did this, or it was the beginning of this, this series, this two or three part series, um, and last week it was called The Advocate. And what we did was we set up a courtroom in here and we talked about how Jesus, as we learn in 1 John, is the advocate before the Father. And it's a term for, that we would closely associate with like an attorney who stands next to you and speaks on your behalf. And listen, if you did not get a chance to hear that message, um, it just felt good. And I, 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 I say that very carefully because, of course, I, I can't determine what's necessarily good. You know, I, that's... that's that's for eternity to decide, but I just, I felt like I said everything that the Holy Spirit had urged me to say. And so if you haven't heard that, please stop by the sound booth. You can pick up, a, you can get a digital copy or an audio copy of that on a CD so you can kind of catch up on this, this series that we're doing um, about perspective shift. And so that's kind of what we're referring to, and that's kind of what this series is. It's, the, it's a perspective shift. I'm trying to get you to change your perspective just a little bit, I started thinking about perspectives and I realized that there are a million perspectives in this world, mine and 999,999 wrong ones. <clears throat> I'm kidding. Um, but I, I started thinking about the perspective of the lobsters in the kitchen of the Titanic. And as the Titanic sank, they said, praise God, our prayers have been answered, right? And then I thought about the three hikers who when they got to a river uh, there, they had to cross, and the first hiker said, God, please, please give me the strength to cross this river. And God said, poof, and he gave him big muscles, and he made him a really super fit athlete, and he was able to swim across uh, the river, nearly drowning, but was able to swim across this river. And the second guy said, God, please, please give me the strength and the tools to cross this river. And God said, poof, and he gave him a rowboat, and he rowed across the river, nearly capsizing, but he ultimately made it. And the, and the third guy said, God, please give me the, the strength and the tools and the intelligence to cross this river. And God said, poof. Made him a woman. She walked upstream about 100 yards to a bridge and crossed like that. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ladies are applauding and looking at their husbands. All right, so let's move on. So listen, we all go through perspective shifts. It is, it is a natural part of life that your perspective changes. It shifts. It goes from one point to another point, and it moves around. For those of you that have been blessed to have children, you know what I am talking about because before you have children, you found yourself saying, oh, my kids will never, or my kids will always, or I will never, or I will always. And that changed an hour after the ch first child was born and you said, I have no idea what I am talking about. Um, we go through perspective shifts when it comes to food. I mean, just think about the last, what, 40 years, we've gone from low fat to low calorie to low carb to low sugar, and, and, and now the new trend is low meat. And so like we, we just, perspective shifts, they happen. Um, technology, think about how our, our perspective and technology has changed from, uh, from, from records to uh, eight tracks and, and all of those things, which by the way, for the young people over here, no, I don't have time to go into what exactly an eight track is, but anyway, like our, our perspective changes and we realize how much information and data can be stored in just the smallest you know, of ways. Um, personally, a couple of years ago, I went through a major perspective shift um, and this was in my marriage. <clears throat> and so uh, one of my many, many, many faults is that um, sometimes when Terry says things, when she uh, disagrees with me about something or she offers up a different perspective, so to speak, I have a tendency to take that personally. I have a tendency to 
take the stance that this is some type of an attack on me or this is some type of a, a disrespectful thing towards me. Um, I have a tendency to take it uh, very personally. And Terry said something to me uh, one day in, in, the, in one of these moments. She said, listen, we are on the same team. And that was a big perspective shift for me. Because it's, it's the idea that if Terry disagrees with me or said some, says something that, you know, whatever, that, that somehow she is the enemy and she's trying to tell me we're, we're on the same team. And it has nothing to do with the fact that the initials of our family is T-E-A-M. Everybody say, aww. Yeah, no, it had nothing to do with that. It was just that she was trying to tell me, listen, we're on the same team. We are in this together, you know. So when she's offering up a different perspective, it's just a matter about trying to make our marriage better and trying to make our family decisions better, right? Trying to make our household better. It's not necessarily something uh, to take personally. And so what I want for you is I want you to have a, a, a perspective shift in a very specific area tonight. That is my goal. So last week it was a, a perspective shift in what goes on in the supernatural, right? Understanding what it means to say that Jesus is our advocate and that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. But to, tonight I want you to have a perspective shift in something that happens in the natural, in everyday life, in how we walk and talk and live out this thing called life. And the perspective shift I want you to have is how you see other people. I want you to have a perspective shift in how you see others, okay? Now, this, this message kind of birthed, so to speak, from a conversation that I had with a good friend of mine. He is a pastor on staff at Palmetto Point, the, the church that we've partnered with for Sacred Season. He is on staff there. Palmetto Point is actually where we got our content from that we're using for the devotions. And so he is, is also in this sacred season doing the prayer and the fasting. And he and I, and this, this, listen, this, is, this has not happened many times in my life. Um, he and I had the same restless night uh, two Mondays ago. And neither of us could shake this, this thing that God was trying to say to us about seeing others um, through his eyes. So unknown to, to, to either of us that, that, that this same, you know, itch kind of thing was happening to both of us as we were restless uh, throughout that night. And so sure enough, he calls me a couple of days later to tell me this story um, that happened to him, and, and we ended up realizing that we, we both had this same perspective, or we both had this same um, restless night for the same reason. And so the story that he tells me is that um, he, he had this restless night on this Monday night. Well, Tuesday morning, he is at the church. So he's a pastor on staff, so he goes there in the mornings, and he's, he's there at the church. And a man comes to the church and walks in the front door, which is not uncommon, of course, right? The doors are open, and there's lots of visitors throughout the day for different things. But this guy was not what you would consider a typical uh, church visitor. He was not there dropping off a potluck. He was not there um, to pick up a card, you know, to bring his kids for church. It was just... Something about this guy, um, he, he was uh, acting strangely and he was saying strange things, but, you know, Johnny had spent the, the previous night restless about trying to see people through God's eyes, and that's exactly what he was trying to do. So he's just trying to love on this guy, and he's just trying to, to be the light, you know, just be the church and just say, you know, you are welcome here. Let me give you some information about our services. We'd love to have you come and join us for service. And so I, the guy is there for several minutes. He ends up using the restroom, and, I, and Johnny goes and gets him a, a bottle of water, you know, from the, from the kitchen or whatever, and says, you know, buddy, have a good day. So the man leaves, and several minutes later, Johnny discovers that the church laptop is gone, and this man had stolen it. You want to talk about an immediate application of an inspiration from God, an immediate opportunity to try to see someone the way God sees them. So this is on a Tuesday, and so later that day, the rest of the staff, you know, they get there at their different times or whatever, and, God, and, and Johnny is sharing with them, you know, this story, and they are giving Johnny down the road about the fact that he had this stuff stolen on his watch. Like, you had one job, talk to the guy, you know, and don't let him steal our property. And um, this was on Tuesday. And Wednesday morning, Johnny gets to church, and look what he finds. Sitting there on the front steps is the laptop with a note. Go to the next picture. 
and it says, sorry, God bless. Man, what an opportunity to, what, a, what an immediate application, right? What an immediate application. Okay, see, see here, here's the thing. Following Jesus Christ, we should continually come into better knowledge, understanding, wisdom, clarity as, as we follow him. We should continue to see with his eyes. We should continue to live with his heart, um, his, his patient and his patience and his uh, understanding. You, you should ex- be experiencing perspective shifts as you follow Jesus. Like, think about the disciples, for example. Think about the fact that the disciples followed Jesus, and listen, they heard all the things that he said, they watched him do all the things that he, they, that he did, they saw his teaching, they saw his miracles. Can you imagine how their world was rocked over the course of three and a half years? And so let me just say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you, if you, if you, if you, if Jesus is your savior, you, you claim Jesus is your savior and you claim to follow him, you should constantly be going through some type of an understanding and perspective shift. That's just how it works. You should not be in the same place you were one year ago. You should not be in the same place you were five years ago. You should constantly be refined in some way. If not, I've got to challenge you tonight to ask yourself why. Okay. Um, he, he died on the cross for more than just to get out of hell free card. Agreed? He died on the cross for more than just a get out of hell free card. Amen? Amen. Right? He died on the cross to bring you into a new knowledge, a new understanding, and to have a new vision. And so our series scripture that we've been using for a couple of weeks, I've made references to this even before we kind of jumped into this series, is Romans 12, 2. It is one of my favorite verses. It is one of my, what I would call a life verse. Um, this has meant so much to me. I've got it hanging over my office door. So that way, whenever I walk out of my office, it is right there reminding me that we should not be conformed to this world, but we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we can prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And so notice, notice a couple of words in there, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our transformation, through, our transformation as the result of Jesus' death on the cross, our transformation as a result of salvation is more than just a prayer saying, I want to be saved. It is more than that. That is just the get out of hell free card. But the transformation that happens is a constant renewing of your mind. And that is how you avoid being conformed to the world is a renewing of your mind because that's how you become transformed. And one of the things I challenged you with was the idea that your thoughts don't change your actions, your actions change your thoughts. And as your actions change your thoughts, your mind is renewed and that's how you're transformed according to what Paul writes to the Romans. Now, as a result of that, you are able to prove, and, 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 and if we look at the Greek word for prove and we kind of unpack it, one of the translations or one of the synonyms of that word is recognize. You're able to recognize, see something the way God sees it. And that's what we're trying to do. We are trying to adopt a perspective that God has for us to adopt. All right, so the other day, I'm taking the kids to school, I'm driving down the street, and Ethan brings something to my attention. He says, Dad, look at that sky, look at the sunrise. And I look up, and this is what I see. So, um, this is actually from the driver's seat. Yes, I was driving and taking a picture at the same time. Um, if you have, a, um, if you have a, a, a problem with that, please email me at joeyvaughn at nwcogonline.com. But anyway, so I look up, and this is what I see. And it took me a second to kind of figure out what exactly was going on. But some of you have already figured out. The tint on my driver's window is different than what's on 
the windshield. And what's funny is that I sent the picture to Terry and it immediately, it immediately came to me as a sermon illustration. What you see depends upon the lens through which you look. The tint that is on the, the, the window versus the windshield is different and, and, and what you see is dependent upon the lens, the tint, the medium through which you are looking. And Terry responds with, it looks like Clemson and LSU. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. But anyway, that wasn't my sermon illustration, but okay, that's fine, fair enough. I think the, uh, the loss was still you know, heavy on our hearts, and so um, that's why she, she brought that up. So if we want to see others the way that Jesus sees others, we need to look at them through which the lens that Jesus uses, right? If the lens through which you look determines what you see, then in order to see people the way Jesus does, we need to look through his lens. We need to look at others through which the same lens that Jesus does. And in order to do this, we're going to Matthew chapter nine. This is such a powerful passage. I mean, it's just a couple of verses, but boy, this is so powerful. This is Matthew chapter nine. This is 35 through 38. And, and I like to remind you that when you, when you see the chapter of any of the gospels, just remember there's about 20 or 30 chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So when you see chapter nine, you realize that we're about halfway through. Does that make sense? If you see Matthew chapter three, we're very early, right? If you see Matthew chapter 25, we're very late. But if you see Matthew or Mark, you know, in that, that type of a chapter, then you know we're kind of right there in the middle, right there in the meat of his, of his ministry. It's not brand new and it's not coming to an end. It's right there in the middle. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. By the way, let me just, I'm, this is not the point of tonight, but do you see the irony there that, that Jesus tells his disciples? Would you just pray that God will send someone out there into the harvest? <laughs> Would you just pray that he'll send someone? This is Jesus. This is the guy starting this whole, new, this whole new movement. And he says, you know, just pray to God that maybe somebody somewhere out there will, uh, will, will, will go out. But let's go back to verse 36, because this is, this is the phrase that we're going to sit down on. He was moved with compassion on them. And the reason why was because they were sheep without a shepherd. And so what's interesting about the word moved, the Greek word is this really long word with like 38 consonants and like 40 vowels. I couldn't possibly begin to pronounce it. But it actually refers to a stomach churning. Because the Greeks believed that um, that 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 gut feeling actually came from your stomach. Like they didn't understand, of course, you know, neurotransmitters and chemicals in the brain. They literally thought that when you get that gut-wrenching feeling that it was literally from your gut. And so it's interesting that the word moved with compassion is, it, it originates um, from there. Now, there are plenty of other times in the scriptures that Jesus is moved with emotion. And you're familiar with some of these, right? The first one we think of is when he goes into the temple, he flips over the tables and he's driving them out with the whip, okay? Now, we have a tendency to think um, that Jesus, the reason why he did that, and, and one of the ways that we unpack that is the idea that they had turned the temple uh, into a den of thieves, the money changers, and they were selling things and money and stuff like that. But, but if you actually unpack that, the reason behind his compassion, the reason behind his passion and his frustration and his anger, the reason why was because the unfortunate, the destitute, the underprivileged people were being exploited by the people in the temple. It is not just because they were selling something. It's because the underprivileged people were actually being exploited and it made him angry, righteously angry that those people, that's what moved Jesus with passion. Jesus wept, um, the, the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize, Jesus wept, okay? And so um, the reason why he wept, um, it's not only because Lazarus had died. 
It's not only because Lazarus, his friend, had died. It's because when the ladies come out to meet him and they say, if you would have been there, he wouldn't be dead. Why weren't you there? You're off doing whatever it is that you're doing. If you would have been here, he wouldn't be dead. And the reason, one of the reasons why Jesus wept was because they just didn't get it. Here he is ministering to these people for quite a while at this point, and they come out, and they're so mad at him because he wasn't there to save Lazarus, and he weeps because even those in his inner circle still don't get it. They still don't understand, and he just weeps with this human compassion of, ah, they still don't, they still don't understand. Um, you know what moved Jesus? Obedience. You know how we know this? Because he goes into a garden to pray, and what happens? He's sweating blood. He's so moved by the obedience that he has to, he has to obey his father. But in that moment, there's, there's that emotional turmoil of what he knows, of the, hum, the human side of Jesus knows what he is about to endure. All right? So if we want to see, you know, see others the way Jesus, we've got to look through his lens. And his lens is this compassion. So before we can better understand his lens, we need to better understand our lenses, okay? And, and this is where I'm really going to, um, I'm really going to bring the fight to you, so to speak, okay? So I've set up these chairs to kind of help me with my, my illustration, and we're going to talk about this stance that we take, this, this chair that we're usually seated in, and we're going to kind of move around um, the circle, before we can get to compassion that Jesus wants us to have, to look at this person, okay? This is the person that we're supposed to be looking at. Before we can get to the seat of compassion, we need to consider the other seats that we sometimes take, the other perspectives that we sometimes take. And this first perspective is our default perspective. And I call this selfish indignation. I call this selfish indignation. This is our default stance. This is the idea that it is all about us. This is the idea that when we look at a person, we immediately take this circumstance or we immediately take the thing that they've done, the thing that has wronged us or the thing that we don't like, and we immediately make it about us. Now, in each of these chairs, we're going to talk about the thoughts, we're going to talk about the words, and we're going to talk about the actions that we experience um, that, that, are, that, are, that are in uh, each of these perspectives. And so the thought process that we go through when we're seated here kind of in this selfish indignation, as we look at this thing that this person has done, we think to ourselves, either they intentionally hurt me or they don't even care what they're doing and, and, and they don't even realize that it hurt me. This is the perspective that we sometimes default to. Now, now listen, don't get me wrong. The reason why this is our default perspective is because of our sinful nature, okay? In fact, if you think about it, uh, Eve, when she first sinned, the thing that the devil used to get her to take the fruit was he said, yeah, but God is withholding something from you. If you take a bite of this fruit, you'll be like God. So he immediately played on her selfish emotion that if you just do this thing, you'll be getting something that you're missing out on. And Eve said, I'm all in, right? Like we, what, what happens is that when we have the mindset of selfish indignation, we look at this person, it immediately makes them the enemy. They did this wrong and it has hurt me. And, or they did it either intentionally or they don't even know that it hurt me. And here's how it sounds. Well, I can't believe he would do that. Do you hear the selfish indignation in that? Do you hear how selfish that is, right? Uh, why, hasn't she, why hasn't she talked to me? Why hasn't she talked to me yet? I bet he's never gonna apologize for that. You hear that? Oh, what does he really think he can get away with lying to me? Why would he even lie to me? Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? That what happens is we take whatever it is that they've done, whatever circumstance that is, whatever situation that is, and we immediately turn it around to how it has hurt us, 
how it has harmed us, the effect that it's going to have on us. And I'm sorry, but that is just a reflection of our selfishness. It's just a reflection of our selfish nature. So the thoughts that we have, the words that we use, but, but, but the actions, that's kind of where the damage really comes in. The actions are actually listed in Galatians 5, and they're referred to as works of the flesh. They're listed right before the fruit of the Spirit. You know, we love to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We really don't want to talk about the works of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh, like they're listed there. It's anger. It's strife. It's jealousy. It's enmity, like that anxiety and that like, oh, I can't believe you did that to me. When you sit in this seat, when you stay in this seat, when you insist on operating from this perspective, it plays out and it manifests itself as works of the flesh. And that becomes your lens. You're looking through this per- looking at this person through your lens of selfish indignation. Now, here's the other thing. The second problem with it is that it's unhealthy. It's physically, mentally, and emotionally unhealthy. I could call 100 doctors and 100 clinical psychologists in here who would all say the same thing. There is research after research after research to support what the Bible has been telling us for thousands of years. This is a detriment to you. Do you realize that something is not a sin just because God said it is? It is a sin because God has determined that it is detrimental to your well-being as a human being. Big difference. He didn't just throw darts at a a wall of, of things and just whatever 10 hit. He said, all right, there's the 10 commandments. He knew the things that would be destructive to our lives, and he said, don't do those things, right? The works of the flesh, the lists that we get of all the things that we should avoid, that's what God was trying to say. Don't do those things. They are detrimental to you. So please, please stop looking at other people. Try to get out of this seat as much as you possibly can. And listen, you will feel yourself. Something will happen. Some family member will do something. Some person you know will relapse and you will immediately find yourself having a seat and you're gonna be like, oh, I can't believe. And how could they possibly? And you're gonna have a seat in this spot. Please, I'm imploring you, do whatever you can to get out of this seat. It is our natural, it is, our, it, is, it is where we approach things from. Please, please try to get out of that seat. Now, the second seat that we sometimes take, I'm calling pragmatic indifference. Pragmatic indifference. The thoughts, this is the seat of, I really don't care. This is the seat of apathy. Right? This is the seat of like, you know, kind of a, a attack, so to speak, but this is the seat of apathy. Sometimes this is the perspective that we assume in a situation or towards a person. Sometimes this is a seat for people that are less emotional, they're more practical, which is why I call this pragmatic indifference. Right? Th- these are the people who say, I don't really have any feelings towards this matter, or I don't have enough feelings to really care about it. And the thought, the thoughts of the person in this, in this seat, it's not my problem, and I really don't care. But, but listen, this seat can be just as dangerous as this seat. And the reason why is because apathy is a very dangerous emotion. And listen, I, I, I like to say this, you know, so I, I regularly engage with about a half a dozen atheists and agnostics. These are people that are in my circle of influence, uh, friends, uh, people from school, people from work. I regularly engage with people like that. And I promise you, the toughest one to deal with is not the guy who sits across the table from me and says, there is no God, I don't believe the Bible, there is no Jesus, and I'll tell you why. And goes on and on and it says, well, I can't trust the, uh, the gospels and I can't trust this and why would, why would a good God allow bad things? And he goes through all of these things. He is not the most difficult to deal with. You know who the most difficult to deal with is? The guy who says, who cares? 
it's so tough to bring someone from that position, right? Give me someone who will stand there and point in my face and say, I, you, you are so dumb for following that church stuff. You are so dumb for reading that Bible. You are so dumb for believing in that Jesus guy. Give me somebody who says that because the guy who says, I'm a good person, I'll probably be in heaven one day. I'm telling you, there's not even enough emotion there to do something with, right? There's not even enough momentum there to even like work with, right? Now, the thoughts of this person is it's not my problem and I really don't care. The words from this seat, the words that you use from this seat is, well, you reap what you sow. You made your bed, now you, if you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. Now the, now, the interesting thing, by the way, is that all of that is actually true, is it not? Yes, it is technically their problem. And yes, the idea of you reap what you sow, it is a biblical principle. So when you say those things, it is true, right? That is actually a true statement. It's, it, it, when you're in this seat and you're telling this person they did something intentionally to harm you, that may not be the case, you know, and there's, there's not truth to that. But when you sit there and this person has done this thing or said this thing or, or whatever it is, and you're looking at them and you're like, well, you reap what you sow, that's actually true, right? And, and you can't fix everyone, and I understand that. But, but here's the problem, and the damage comes in the actions. The first action that is damaging when you're seated in the seat of pragmatic indifference is turning a blind eye. And the reason why, or the, the model that we use is a man later in the book of Matthew and his name is Pilate. Pilate is caught in this very peculiar and particular spot about what to do with this man named Jesus of Nazareth, right? And people are calling for this and the high priests are calling for this and the Pharisees are saying this and the Sadducees are saying this. And what does Pilate do? What does he say? He says, it's not my problem. And he, he, he does something very symbolic, doesn't he? What does he do? He washes his hands. And he says, it's not my problem. Do you see how that can be a very dangerous perspective. If you're modeling yourself after Pilate, that's bad, okay? Let me just break it down simply, okay? If you're doing what Pilate does, that's a bad thing. Now, the second problem and the reason why this perspective can be so damaging is because apathy, apathy is a really bad thing and you wanna know why? It's because it makes Jesus want to vomit. Does anybody know the scripture that I'm referring to? In Revelation, right? He says, yep, you are either hot or you're cold, but if you're right there in the middle at that lukewarm, eh, kind of a mentality, the word is spew, spew thee out of my mouth. And when you look up the, word, the, Greek, when you look up the Greek word that John used when he wrote Revelation, the word spew literally means vomit. If you're acting like Pilate, that's a bad thing. If you're making Jesus vomit, that is a bad thing. It's as simply as I can break down the gospel for you. If there's someone, there's something, there's a situation in your life, if you were going to look at it from pragmatic indifference, please let me challenge you to consider a different lens. And the third lens is the lens that Jesus brings to us, which is compassionate consideration. Compassionate consideration. And this is where you consider their circumstances and you view them with compassion. Listen, this is the toughest, it's the toughest one, okay? These are, are easy in their own ways. This is easy because it's our default. This is easy because it means you don't have to get involved. You, you, you can just say, well, I don't really care. I can just say it's not my problem. I can just throw it back on them and say, well, they made that bed, they can lie in it. But to come at it from the compassionate seat, to look through the lens of compassionate consideration is to say, there are circumstances there that I don't know. So before I jump to a conclusion, I'm gonna consider compassion first. And, and, and the thoughts 
Behind every face, there is a name, and behind every name, there's a story. You see, because the enemy wants us here. The enemy, see, here's what's really cool, by the way. The enemy wants us here because when you're here, you look at this person as the enemy. And do you know what one of Satan's best and favorite tactics is? <sighs> For you not even to know that he's there or that he's the enemy, that's exactly right. He doesn't even want you to think that there is an enemy or if there is an enemy, he certainly doesn't want you to know that it's him. So if he can get you to think that they're the enemy, he has won, right? But when you sit here and your thoughts are, you see, he wants us to live in strife, right? But when you sit here, you put on the lens of 1 Samuel, which says, I want to see man, I want to see people the way God sees people. This is the person who just took your, your parking spot at the mall. I can't believe that. What are they doing? I was here first. What's their problem? Didn't they see my blinker on? But the words from here, right? It's probably another spot somewhere close by. I could probably use a couple extra steps anyway. Um... And, and maybe, maybe those people, maybe they really needed that spot. Maybe they, you know, maybe they have, you know, uh, trouble walking and they needed that, that spot. And so, you know, it's, it's really actually not worth kind of losing my mind and, and losing my religion over a parking spot at the mall. I can't believe that my coworker didn't even acknowledge me in the break room. What is their problem? Every time they come in here, there's always something. And now my day is ruined because they decided not to say hey to me in the break room. I don't know what their problem is. Well, that's just how they are. I really don't care. I'm not gonna be bothered by it. I hope they have a flat tire when they walk outside. You know, I know they've got a, uh, a four-year-old at home and it could be that they had a Fruit Loop fight this morning at breakfast, and so when they came in, it's just been a rough day. So maybe I should buy lunch. Maybe I should buy lunch today. Hmm. I can't believe they didn't, they didn't invite me. Why didn't they invite me? This doesn't make any sense. All the things I've done for them, all the times I've bought them lunch after they had a bad morning with their toddler, and then they don't even invite me? That, whatever, that's okay. I don't understand their problem. And now I'm gonna have a terrible day about it. And I'm probably gonna get on social media and make some vague reference to people not inviting other people to a thing. So maybe they'll see it and then maybe they'll figure out that it's about them. I've planned a lot of parties and events. And it is impossible to think of every detail. And it's impossible to think about all the people that you should invite. Um, by the way, we, we had a little get together this past Friday night for my, Ethan's birthday. Um, I forgot to invite my dad. Yeah, his grandfather. I forgot to invite him. That's what made me think of that. You, know, you, you, see, you, see, you see this, right? There's probably some circumstances there that I'm not really aware of. Maybe it's a budget. Maybe it's like a money thing. They probably wanted to invite a bunch of people. But parties can be expensive. You know? Maybe I should send them a quick text saying, hey, I hope it was a, a great event. The homeless guy with the cardboard sign in the parking lot. Ah, get out of the way! Come on, listen, you're holding up traffic. I don't have time to deal with that. You should probably be on welfare, but the problem is that's just taking money out of my pocket anyway because that's my taxes paying for it. So whatever, just go find a job. Get out of the way, I don't have time. Well, it's not really my problem. I mean, 
I can't save every homeless person. I can't build a homeless shelter for everybody to live in. So it's not really my problem. There's no telling. He's probably on drugs. He's probably a drunk. Uh, there's no, whatever. So just, can you get out of the way so I can get to Starbucks? You know, I read recently that so much homelessness has to do with mental health, mental health and battling mental illnesses. And I'm, I'm guessing if I woke up tomorrow and I were homeless, I, I, I'd probably go out and try to find a job and try to find a place to live. And maybe I could find a roommate and, or somebody in my family. But, you know, there's probably a reason why he's been alienated from all of his friends and alienated from all of his family. And why, maybe he can't keep a job the same way I can. Maybe he can't keep a roommate the same way I can. And I know that I... You know, I, I don't know if I give him money if it's going to be used for the right thing, and I don't know if I want to give him food out here because that just promotes him standing out here even further, but maybe there's something I can do. Pray for him. Invite him to our church. Offer to pick him up for church. There's got to be something I can do other than just be mad at him for standing out here with a cardboard sign and making a bunch of assumptions about him and who he is and, and, and what he's done. This is, probably, this is probably my favorite one. It makes no sense why you would sell drugs and commit armed robbery. You know what? I hope he gets sentenced to jail and I hope he goes to jail for a really long time because it's horrible for my neighborhood and it's horrible for our state and it makes them look bad and it makes us look bad and it makes this and it's all that and I can't believe that and I don't understand and this is just terrible and things like that. Well, he got what's coming to him. He knows. He knows it's illegal. It's no secret that dealing drugs and committing armed robbery is illegal. So whatever happens, happens. It's not my problem. I'm just glad it's not my kid. And listen, at this point, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. From 13 years as a police officer. He, hear me on this. Well, let's see, his dad's in prison for dealing drugs and committing armed robbery. His older brother is in prison for dealing drugs and committing armed robbery. The only positive male influence in his life is his older cousin. And guess what? He deals drugs and talks about committing armed robbery. So how on earth could I expect this 17-year-old kid to know any? better. His entire life, he's been told, this is what you do. Behind every face is a name, and behind every name is a story. Do you see, do you see why Jesus is calling us to this seat, to sit down in this chair, to pick up this lens and look through it. I can't believe he would just up and leave our church like that. Boy, he's got a lot of nerve. Doesn't he realize how this hurts? Doesn't he realize what this does to us? Didn't he think about us? Didn't he think about my family or my marriage or my kids? He just dedicated my baby not too long ago and he's gone. He just went to visit my sister in the hospital just last week and he just decides to leave. Whatever. Pastors are going to be pastors. That's what they do. This is probably just, this is probably always just a stepping stone anyway. Probably had this planned. I don't really care. Let's bring in the next one. Probably going to abandon us and leave us as well. Oh, well, that's life. Well, he and his wife are from there, so it kind of makes sense. He's got to drive all the time to go see his family, spend hours and all that. I mean, his youngest boy has hardly even started school, so the, the timing is, seems right. And his oldest boy is not even in high school yet, so if he's going to change schools, you know, this, this seems, you know, the timing is right, right before he gets to, into, you know, his high school years. 
you know, and, you know, he's always such a pastor for caring about people. And here's this opportunity to go to a church that's really, really hurting. You know, so there's, and there's probably more to it than that. I'm just, this is just the things that I know about. There's probably more to it than that. You see, when you're in this seat, instead of the works of the flesh that are over there, it's the fruit of the Spirit. You've got a basket of fruit right here. And when you're seated in this seat, you can just reach over and pick up the fruit. Love and joy, patience. That's how this manifests itself. That's the action that you take when you're seated in this seat. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and then what happens here is that you're moved to do something. Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved to do something, to act somehow, to flip over a table, to sweat blood, something. It moves you. Not only do you have the fruit of the Spirit to live out and to use and to employ now it actually moves you to do something. There's enough emotion and compassion here for you to do something other than just sit there with your arms crossed and have a bad day. And now here's the other thing that happens. When you have a seat here, you back up to a wider view of things, a bigger perspective because here is very narrow-minded. You're very close and your perspective is just this and you're only looking at them and what they've done and how it affected you and what they did was their thing and blah, blah, blah. But when you, when you assume the perspective of the kingdom, you get to step back and you see that the circumstances are way bigger than just your tunnel vision, than just what's inside your blinders. You go from a narrow view to a kingdom view. And you start to realize there are way more moving parts than just what you think. Because behind every name, there's a face. And behind every face, there's a story. Behind every relapse, there's a story. Behind every divorce, there's a story. And you can have a seat here and that can be your perspective towards that person. Now, now listen, I, I, I hear some of you arguing with me in your mind. Like I, get, I, I hear it. I, I hear you arguing with me in your mind and you're like, yeah, but Mike, you don't know the situation. You don't know the whole story. The very argument that you're trying to make is the actual perspective I'm trying to have you take. You don't know the whole story. And I'm sure if you told me the story about this person and the horrible things that they had done and how many times you had let your son or your daughter come home and then they did it again and then they were back at it again and you could, if you sat down and you told me the story, listen, I would buy into all of your feelings because yes, that is our human nature and I'm just trying to get you to get up from this seat and just have a seat, in, have a seat there. Just pick up that lens and look through it. Can I just, can I ask you to challenge yourself to try to pick up that lens and look through it? Can you just pick up the lens of Matthew chapter nine and try to look through that? Would you go back to that please? Matthew nine, the 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. I paraphrase that when you look at someone, just remember that their guidance system may be off. You, you may get up every day 
and you pursue Jesus, and you're pursuing his teachings, and you're pursuing everything that he has for you, all the abundant life that he has for you, but they may not be doing that the same way that you are. They may be a sheep without a shepherd. They may be lost trying to navigate this whole thing. Maybe, they, maybe their decision-making was just a bit off that day. Like, I, I think about sometimes when we're, when we're in these positions and, and we look at the politician that we don't agree with. Uh, they're gonna die and go to hell because they're a terrible person because they support abortion. Listen, do you know if we spent half as much time praying for some of these people as we did complaining about them or bashing them at the breakfast table? Can you imagine the impact we would have? Listen, can you imagine praying for Nancy Pelosi as much as you possibly can? Imagine praying for Nancy Pelosi half as much By the way, you realize that over the next week or two, there is a church who will lose its pastor. And all the frustration, and all the anger, and all the resentment, and all of the questions you jump over to this seat, you're like, man, that church is about to go through what we've gone through, and I need to pray for them because it's tough and it's strange and it's frustrating, and they're going to need all the help they can get. So if you've sat here tonight, and, and watch this presentation. And you, you find yourself struggling to see people the way God sees people. It could be that you struggle to see you the way God sees you.